Hello and welcome to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gamage, and this is a special episode of the Dash Podcast. As we are getting closer and closer to episode 100, I want to be sure to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the Gamage Consulting Group, and we help middle school principals support student behavior. We want you to spend more time delivering feedback your teachers can use, less time documenting those behavior incidents, and more time empowering your educators to be the best version of themselves. Schedule the time to talk now at treygamers.com shop to learn more about our five-step leadership and teacher support services, the link, or find the link in the episode below. That's a lot to say. It's been a while since I have it, and I have here with me Mr. Marlon Llewellyn. We met way back in the day. You're a Ball State man. Um, I'm a Miami man. We met back in the day on our adventures abroad. And uh, in our little pre-episode, you mentioned how uh, studying abroad changed your life. Can you just hit on that for a minute for me? Um, talk about your experience in college and what it was like to go abroad and, and come back into the professional world. Well, I think, I think, if, hey, thank you so much, Trey, for having me on. So I remember I'm meeting you, what, six years ago in Miami, Ohio, and uh, Archie Denson, my best friend, my uh, high school teammate, my college coach, was your coach. And so I looked at you then, you said, well, hey, I'm going to go overseas, going to abroad. And I was like, man, this kid's going to be on it. <laughs> so uh, amazing stuff. But, but my experience uh, really began uh, at a young age. And so kind of give you a quick overview of Mr. Llewellyn is uh, I'm originally from Kingston, Jamaica. Uh, my family migrated here when I was four years old. And, and the first thing my family did when they got to the United States, uh, Florida, or uh, Fort Lauderdale, was to find me a great school. And so didn't know that impact of finding me a great school will have, will have changed my trajectory uh, compared to my other peers in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I got to, when I, when I arrived at Ball State in, in my uh, senior year, I had a professor, uh, once again, someone who can affirm and, and support me. He said, Dr. Popovich, I never forget it. He said, Al, what are you doing this uh, next semester? I said, nothing. He <laughs> looked at me. He gave me no choice. He said, Marlon, you're going to travel abroad with me. You're going to London. Mm-hmm. I said, London? I don't know nobody in London. I'm black. I'm not going to London. <laughs> I want to play football and go do the combine, right? I want to do the things that my other peers would do. Right. But I my mind then uh, I was going to London. How that kind of progressed, too, was uh, knowing the time at Ball State University traveled abroad. No athlete. Right. So I'm ne- I'll never forget this. I'm a scholarship athlete. I go to my uh, college uh, advisor. His name is Mr. Dave Land. He's overall compliance uh, for for university athletics. Mm-hmm. And Dave, just re- he was just inducted into the Hall of- High School Hall of Fame here in okay. Indiana. So so Dave Land, uh, if you're listening, he, he really impacted my life. He, I asked him, can I travel abroad? He looks at me. He said, "L, give me 24 hours. Wow. <laughs> and the next day wow. he calls me into the office after doing all the NCAA compliance stuff. And he said, hey, you can go, you can travel abroad. I'm like, oh, really? And also you get a stipend while you're over there. Wow. Huh? Wow. So he expedited everything for me. I got signed up and in January of the fall, what, January 2000, yep. And that was your last semester? Last semester, January yeah. 2000. <laughs> I, when everyone's coming to school, I came a couple weeks early. I got on an airplane, a brand-new 777. i never forget that. And I flew from uh, Indianapolis to New York, from New York to uh, London Heathrow Airport. And, and, and that journey of my life and looking at things differently 
began once I touched, touched down in London. Wow, that's that's amazing. I didn't know how similar our stories were. I, I mean, I remember Coach Benson put us together again. Shout out to Coach Benson. Um, wonderful man, great coach, wonderful man of God, great father, parent, um, all-time leading rusher in Notre Dame history, uh, all that. Um, I remember he put us together for that reason, but I didn't realize it was your last semester too, man. Um, I know I was, and that's a cool thing, and we'll continue, but how supportive the administration was. You know, I was thinking that I was nervous to tell yeah. my coaches that, that I was going to tell anybody that I was going abroad. Like, no, I'm not coming back to my fifth year. I'm about to go abroad and leave the scholarship on the table. But they were really supportive as well. I kept it, I kept mine quiet for a while. because It was after my junior season. I said, man, let me, let me see what's going on. So I had it set up a year in advance to have the option my last year. Um, and ended up making that decision ultimately. But I, I agree, man. We were in Luxembourg and, and got to travel to a new country every weekend. Um, mm -hmm. Just it, it was just amazing. It made the world absolutely flat is, uh, is, is what I said. And um, I think that is a good segue because coming back, you know, when I did come back, um, I graduated in May, moved to South Carolina in July. And uh, I, I've been in this rural community since I got back. And what's amazing to me, what I learned about being abroad is that you can be anywhere and have a, a life-changing experience. So while I'm in this rural area in the South, um, and seeing opportunities to work with different schools and to just support the education system, which is failing in a lot of ways. Um, I, I see how difficult it can be to recruit and retain teachers that are talented in this area. Um, that's a specialty of yours. Can you talk about um, recruiting and education and, and in particular black recruitment and education? There's only 2% of black ed educators are black males, I believe. As I reflect on like my journey uh, as an educator, that's my journey through life. Um, I really believe I've always I've been blessed to be a recruiter, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I love just connecting the dots and bringing people together. I can remember uh, as early as Little League football when we were trying to recruit uh, other uh, black athletes in my neighborhood to play football. And we will, we will literally go to whether the barbershop, uh, the basketball court, and I'm trying to get my top five to come play with me because I know, man, if I get these, if I get these killers in the neighborhood come play on my yeah. on my football team, it's a wrap. And so, I think I've had a knack of connecting people and sharing a vision. And so, um, I, and once again, I just started reflecting on this over the past couple of weeks. And and so, and but it comes down to this, Trey. It comes down to having authentic relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, what you see, what you get with me, um, and then and 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 from this, I kind of create like a mission statement for myself. My mission statement is very clear. I tell people this all the time. I said, uh, "I'm a sir, I'm a I'm an educational entrepreneur with a servant leader heart who believes I don't have to trample on anyone else to get to where God has ordained me to be." And mm -hmm. so. As I continue through this process, uh, one thing that makes me really good in this role as just an educator is I'm very authentic. I have empathy. And I love building solid relationships with people. And so if you can paint a picture of someone's success, if you can paint a picture of someone's trajectory in their life, uh, it changes their life and their purview mm -hmm. on things because you can then follow up with real uh, experiences from your life of how you got to where you've been. Yeah. And so that makes me, I guess, unique uh, in this role. 
uh, because I've been blessed to uh, work as a teacher assistant, as a, a teacher, as a as a uh, dean, as a behavioral specialist, as an assistant principal of academics, assistant principal of culture, and as as a fellow, as a print, I've I've kind of went through all the gamut, uh, which which also gives me credibility. So I'm recruiting someone; they kind of know the trajectory and the path. Right. They can take. Uh, so that's kind of the role I kind of take. Yeah, yeah, that's that's real. What what so what's it? There's a teacher shortage, right? Is, do you see the same thing? Well, that's what we hear, um, is that the world is short or the country is short, 60,000 teachers or something like that. In, in your experience as a recruiter, do, do you see a teacher shortage? Are we looking in the wrong places? How do we get these classrooms filled? So once again, um, uh, it, it's, and be transparent, we always, had, we always had a minority teacher shortage. Um, mm back to your, I graduated high school in 95, like I told you, uh, my first black teacher was 1993, Miss McDonald, right. right? Taught history, right? I remember her, right? Because <laughs> of walking to her classroom, I walked into her classroom the first day of school different. Because my entire year I've been taught by white teachers. I walk in Miss McDonald's classroom. <laughs> yeah. I got to bring my A game, it's a black teacher. They've been doing it longer than I, longer than I probably have been living. And so it was a sense of respect and pride knowing I, I'm, I'm going to be taught by someone that looks like me and I can relate with. Right? And so I think we all always had a teacher or a minority teacher shortage because mm -hmm. we have yet to understand that this teacher shortage is a systematic issue. Right? Mm -hmm. When you look at education uh, from a historical purview, um, Education wasn't designed for uh, African Americans. Yeah, right. Uh, this last, it wasn't this ecosystem we call it education wasn't designed for us. Uh, and talking to my wife's family, right? They they're from rural a rural town in Athens, in the Athens, Alabama, and uh, and she, uh, she brought me when I first time met my wife, and 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 I was educated. Her aunt Helen brought me by the school she went to. Right, and I was like, "That's the school you went to." It was, it was Lachette, Trey, right? in Athens, Alabama, and behind the cornfield was a brand new what? All white high school. Yeah. And every time I go to Athens and go visit, we'll we'll be back down there in July. I always drive by that school to see the shack where Helen and her other eight siblings went to, mm. who are all now super professionals, super successful, right? And and to, and to peer through the cornfields, right, and to see this brand new shiny high school that wasn't all uh, integrated until the late early what, eighties. Yeah. Right? And so when we talk about teacher shortage and retention of teachers and recruitment of teachers. I think we always had a shortage. Yeah. I think now with uh, the landscape shifting, now we have all this data out. The data we already knew was there. Now people are being more intentional how you recruit and retain um, yeah. educators and leaders of color. So I think we all have shortage because it's a you can't it's a systematic issue. So you can't you have to take a systematic approach to a systematic. Yeah. Issue. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's a lot of work that I'm doing now uh, with our contractually education partners and also with our with my with my nonprofit to lead is looking at the issue and, and then saying it's a systematic issue. Uh, but we need systematic solutions. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so in your like day to day or or month to month, however the process works, when you are communicating and interacting with potential educators, do you have a process for talking with minority educators, or is is there a, a full pool? Like, it's just a big pool of everybody that you're talking to. And so I've been blessed. And so the, the company I, I work for now, contract with now, uh, is uh, Relay Graduate School. Amazing program, right? Out in New York. And so they, it's a path, it's a teacher pathway program that identify uh, teachers um, and put them in a pathway or, or like, kind of like a residency program, right? And in the first year, they do like a shadow. And in the second year, they get their, get their classroom. And in the two years, they earn a master's degree and they earn a teacher certification, mm. right? Think about that. They have they have acceler- they have accelerated that process while bringing some of the top talent to mm. teach, mentor, and develop all uh, teachers of color. Um, had an amazing opportunity yesterday to uh, spend some time with a fellow uh, who he's currently teaching in um, in Philadelphia, and 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 to hear him speak to me about how impactful Relay has been to him, and to and to see it. Uh, I'm just really blessed to work uh, with this company that have the same vision and mission I do around how do we close this gap um, mm-hmm. and close it intentionally. So once again, it's a systematic issue that needs system that that needs systematic solutions. And so right. we all align with that philosophy, and that's why the work I do with them is so natural because I believe in what Relay is doing and 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 believe that Relay will continue to make an impact across our nation with regards of all. Um, this pipeline shortage. Mm, mm. What, um, and um, this might not be a fair question, um, is that should there be some kind of, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to make sure I'm clear in the statement. Should there be some kind of ratio that we're looking at in the classroom? If I have 50% or 75% of my students are black, should it be a priority for me as a school to make sure that my staff is reflective of the population that I'm serving? So great question. So when I, when I took over the principal role at Tinley in 2016, uh, I identified diversity as an issue, right? Because we had a predominantly black school with black students, not all black students, but predominantly black students who are all being served by white teachers. And so even though these teachers were amazing teachers, there still was a disconnect there because uh, those young people in the high school knew they had a black dean, a black principal, right? But they don't have a black educator, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we have a black custodian team. We got black food service, right? And so they saw different uh, representation of, uh, I guess, blackness, right? Uh, or, or diversity in different areas, but they did not see it in the classroom. Right, and that was something very important to me. And so to your question, I allowed it to happen organically, right? Mm-hmm. Once again, connecting people, having relationships in the city and across the nation, I was attracting great talent because the talent understood my integrity, understood my vision. So when people of uh, different race and ethnicity were signing up once they knew I came to Tinley, it happened organically. I mm-hmm. lost some good teachers, but also gained some good ones as well. Um, and I was just very intentional by making sure uh, that every student, every teacher I put in the classroom 
was a representation of our population and also representation of what our kids going to experience once they mm -hmm. enter into college. And so, um, but it was great talent, right? right? I'm not going out so I'm going to put a bad black teacher in the classroom, right? It's like, really? No, you're a bad black teacher. I'm not going to put a bad uh, Hispanic teacher in the classroom. You're a horrible, you're a bad black Hispanic teacher. I'm going to put the best teacher in front of those kids, but also through having a lens on the DEI process of diversity, um, equity, and inclusion, right? I was able to attract talent in a diverse group of talent and give everybody equal shot for those positions. Mm -hmm. And the best one, the best one, the best folks win. Yeah. Um, but I think if, if we start putting quotas on things, we once again create a systematic issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, the, and we, and it, 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 it's, it's, I'll say it again, and people are gonna be like, hey, that's your line. It's my line, right? It's, it's a systematic issue. We need systematic solutions. Yeah. Um, no, that that's absolutely right. You know, I think that's well, first off, thank you for clarifying that for me, because yeah, I don't I don't think a quota or yeah, I don't think you can put a quota on what your school should look like, but I think it, it can make a difference mm -hmm. how your staff reflects your student body. Um so yeah, systematic issues and that that goes up and down the line. What do you think changes in what what changed in your school that you worked at when you had um, maybe not even a staff that reflected your population, but you had representation um, throughout your school of, of minorities, black people, people of color for your students? I think um, I, it's a term we, we talk about a lot of time. Me, me and my mentor, we talk about this, is having a like like-minded role model everywhere throughout the building. And so um, the impact for me by having a like-minded role model throughout the building in various levels has has looked like um, increase enrollment, right? You're talking about enrollment being increased by 45%. Um, mm. Increased parent engagement um, because now parents feel more comfortable engaging with the school. Um, increased academic outcomes for students, right? Uh, when you look at look at the black male population I served in the past three years, uh, they had some of the highest test scores in Marion County for black males in math, right? In ELA, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at a school that, that that hasn't received an A rating over six, seven years, and then in two years at Stanlow High School, they get a you get A's both years, and then you get a four star rating. Uh, it's because of all the work that my team and my my team and I did around ensuring that every student had a like like minded role model to look up to and to kind of look at in the classroom. Now, once again, good like minded role models, right? <laughs> we're gonna throw just we're gonna throw in, anybody in the classroom, uh, and also people that, that are mission and vision focused, right? Because as a building leader, I had to make sure that mission was clear and people were following that mission with fidelity, and so. Hmm. I look at my life and my work as an educator and, 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 and as an uh, educational leader as kind of like a football coach, right? Uh, I'm like a Nick Saban with a um, Urban Meyer skill set and an Archie Denson heart, right? <laughs> right. So I'm saying it's kind of like you know, I want to win, but also I want to win the right way. I also want to yeah. make sure people on leave leave my presence or leave my school hmm. feeling like they can take on the world. Uh, hmm. so, 
uh, having that servant leadership mindset while also having that grind and that edge around make sure kids of color get the best education and, and, and nobody going to stop me, right? It's kind of like, look, we're going to do it for our babies. Uh, that that lends, uh, lends to a great uh, environment, an environment that all students should have. Um, yeah. And so transparency, love, respect, all that good stuff goes into it, <clears throat> but just being very intentional and having a clear focus of how you're going to uh, support students of color to be successful uh, long before they graduate high school. So, right. No, that's that's real. I, I love serving leadership with the grind. We, you might have to put that on the t-shirt, man. That's I might, man. It's real. Like I look at all the time. I look at uh, being a football player. You and I, right? Yeah. Um, that is our first example of leadership, right? Yeah. Uh, because. You know, our day started, I know I was in college, my day started every day at 5.30. Like, I got to go lift weights at 6, have breakfast at 8, be in class by 10.30, be in film by 1, right? My day was very scripted. Um, but uh, I just learned so much from those coaches. I learned mm -hmm. so from my from Coach Lynch. I learned so much from Coach Dwayne. I learned so much from Coach Bart. I learned so much from my peers, Archery, uh, my other friends I play football with. I learned it, it's it's really it's you're right. It's serving leadership with the grind. Um, mm -hmm. Not gonna step on nobody. Not gonna hurt nobody. We're gonna uh, do it the right way and make sure God gets the honor and the glory in the process and. Um, make sure our impact is felt not only on a local yeah. level, but on a national level. So I think you're right. It, it is serving leadership with a grind. Yeah. You can still grind without hurting people. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think I made a post one day. I said, don't make bad people uh, stop making you from being a good person, mm -hmm. right? And that's deep, right? We, we experience so much stuff through our careers, and people tell me all the time, like, hey, you don't stop, do you? I said, nah, for what? <laughs> I pray for you. Keep moving. So it. So I think you are right. We, we might. We might have something here. You yeah. might call this podcast "Servant Leadership." Hey, with look, you read my mind. You, you you read my mind, and I feel like you you're, you're wrapping the episode up for me because we are running out of time, Marlon. You're definitely going to be with the grind. That's it. Yeah, you're definitely going to be a guest that's going to be back on the show. Tell tell the audience, anybody listening, where they can find you at. Well, you can find me definitely on LinkedIn because. I, I'm not a Facebook person. Facebook to me is like a uh, trash can on fire. There's a lot going on. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like crazy. Yeah. I, and I have the thought process like that. Certainly, so I definitely have LinkedIn on uh, Marlon Llewellyn at LinkedIn. Also, Twitter. I love Twitter because it's I can tweet one thing, get five likes, and I'm good to go, right? Uh, right. See me on and also, check me out uh, at our consulting company, uh, Contractually uh, Education Partners, and be on the lookout as well for two lead. Uh, that's that's my 501c getting ready to launch. And also, anyone out there looking for an amazing opportunity to teach and impact the next generation of students, I encourage you to check out relay.edu. Uh, Once again, relay.edu. Uh, that's a uh, teacher pathway program and uh, my current employer. Uh, I love them because we were all mission aligned and vision aligned. And our goal is to make sure we close this gap around all uh, having more minority representation in the classroom and in leadership. So a lot going on with me, but once again, we just figured out I'm, I'm a servant leader. I'm a servant leader. And I'm going to grind through. Yes, sir. Well, that's great. I thank you for your time, man. Thank you for listening. 
to the Dash episode to the Dash podcast. For those of you that are listening, uh, remember that this episode is sponsored by the Image Consulting Group. We help middle school principals support student behavior. We're on the way to episode 100. And if you like this one, share it. This is Servant Leadership with the Grind. You can find this podcast episode on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and anywhere in between. We will see you next time. This is The Dad.